when pigs fly. So this month we're looking at miracles. And specifically asking ourselves the question, you and I, do we believe in miracles? Are miracles something that we just fantasize about or something that only happened in biblical times? Uh, or do we earnestly and honestly believe in miracles? Last week we talked a little bit about uh, the miracles of, of casting out demons and the spiritual warfare and, and how uh, the devil loves to play those tricks on us and, and attack us in particular ways and, and how you know, we need an intervention from God um, at times in order to, um, to get back on the right track in terms of uh, good versus evil in our own lives and how it affects us and our loved ones. Today may hit a little closer to home as we look at, do you believe in miracles of healing? Uh, the scripture uh, is filled, just like we talked to the kids a few minutes ago, with these great healing stories, and not just from Jesus and the Gospels, uh, but as the apostles go out and they heal in the name of Jesus, as we back up into the Old Testament and we see some of the working prophets and, and in terms of Elijah and Elisha and how they healed and, and others as well. Um, healing uh, comes with the territory. First and foremost, healing is, is our salvation. And so the number one miracle of healing, uh, salvation means to be made well uh, in terms of our relationship with God. And so the reconciling us to God through the blood of Jesus the Christ is a miracle of healing in itself. Uh, the scriptures over and over say we don't deserve it. And it's precisely that reason that it is a miracle that we are reconciled to God. But today we're going to look specifically at healings of, of the physical nature or healings of the mental or emotional state. When you and I um, have exhausted all possibilities of trying to get well, uh, like the lady in our gospel that we'll speak of in a moment, we're in search of a miracle of healing. Do we believe that it's possible in the name of Jesus and in the name of God? How you answer that and how I answer that is really based on our experiences with God and our access to God, our access to Jesus, our personal record, our personal story, the story of our loved ones, how we grew up, uh, what did we hear, what did we see, what did we taste in terms of healing in the name of God. I know I've shared this with many of you before, but we do have lots of new people and, and maybe you weren't here that particular Sunday when I've told this story. But my experience with healing starts before I even enter the world. It starts in my mother's womb. And what happens is that my mom is pregnant with me. And I'll make a long story short, especially for those who have heard this before. That's a joke, long story short, right? You know I can't do that. <laughs> my mom is pregnant. We have this family bond. We live in the little community of Summit Point, and then there was, we were surrounded by farmland and apple orchards. In other words, lots of wild animals as well. We didn't have a fenced-in yard, so our dog would often go off um, and then come back later. This one particular day, the dog comes back, and it, had, it was evident it had been in some kind of scuffle, a fight. It was bleeding and hurting and panting and, and suffering, our dog. My mother... Um, trying to clean the dog up and comfort the dog. And one of the ways she does it is she puts the, lets the dog uh, gnaw on her hand. I don't know why, but that's the way 
you know, was making him feel better. Maybe he had some mouth injuries or whatever. So while she's trying to clean up his body, he's gnawing using her hand as a chew toy. And then a day or two goes by, the dog starts foaming at the mouth. So it's evident that the dog had rabies. They take the dog to the vet, and you know they do their thing, and, and the dog has to be put down because of the rabies, and he probably had gotten into a fight with raccoons or something else. And then a few more days go by, and, and as this story starts to be told and, un, and, and un, unpacked, my mom looks down, and she has severe cuts on her hand. So she doesn't really think about it too much, but she goes to the doctor in the midst of her care and stitches and, and getting cleaned up herself. Uh, she tells the doctor, our family doctor, the story. And then he says, oh no, Joyce, the dog had rabies. You've probably contracted rabies yourself. And then to complicate matters more, you know, she's pregnant with me. And so through the course of this conversation and the care that she's receiving, uh, the option is, the only option medically is that my mom would have to start a series of shots in the abdomen, which would terminate the pregnancy and terminate me. And so right away, she says, you know, oh, you know, I, I won't speak for a while, but she basically tells the doctor, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And he says, well, Joyce, if you have rabies, you're going to die. Not only is your, your dog's going to die, but if you go untreated, you're, it's not going to end well for you. And she says, I'm not having the treatment. She says, well, go home, and, and I'm going to call your husband, but you go talk to your husband, and you know, we're going to get this straight. A mom comes home and, and, and shares a story with dad, and the same thing unfolds. And my dad says, you know, he supports my mom. And so they call... Uh, the, the community together, our church, and it was a neat little community at the time, and, and, and probably still is. Mike Broden knows of Stone Point um, fondly as well. Uh, but there was an Episcopal church, a Methodist church, and a Baptist church. And there was a pocket of Catholics who went to the next town over for worship. But my mom was friends with all these ladies and men from different churches. And so the whole community came over to the house and they prayed over my mom and my dad. They prayed for a miracle of healing and protection and, and comfort and encouragement and strength. And so then my mom goes back to the doctor and says, no, I'm going to be healed in the name of Christ. And the doctor basically said, you're crazy. This is not going to work out. Um, you've got to have these shots. And, she, and he talked to my father again as well, and, and the answer was no. And so as the story goes, I'm still here. And so, amen. We could have clapped for that. <laughs> could have another preacher. <laughs> I guess I did get to the punchline pretty quickly. You weren't prepared to clap. But the, you know, my mom was either healed or protected from the disease. Either way, that dog had rabies, and my mom ended up not. And my mom ended up not having the shots in the abdomen, which preserved the pregnancy, which allowed me to live and to be born and to live again. Thank you, Mike. Amen. Somebody's paying attention. I share that not just to, you know, make that a, a statement of faith, but then what happens is even more important to me. I guess it can't be more important than Lily, uh, but, but maybe so. 
because I hear that story from my earliest days. And I consistently and constantly hear that story from my mom and my dad. Especially every time I messed up. Because my mom would say, you know, the Lord did not save you to be a little jerk running around this neighborhood. The Lord saved you to do something great. I mean, that's what she would say. Every time. Especially, again, when I messed up. But it's that story that shaped who I was early on and what I believed about miracles. And then later on, I would see that every time there was something going on in my household or in the community of faith and in our little village, uh, my mom and dad were leaders in the prayer movement. And so they would they would get out the little vials of, of oil and they would pray over the sick and pray over the injured. Or pray over those who were disturbed in a relationship or having issues at work. But prayer first and foremost. Now, we believed in doctors and medical care. My mom did not refuse medical care lightly. Um, and so that's not, this is not that kind of sermon either. Um, but, but the prayer of healing shaped who I was from my earliest days. All the way through. So much so that the big joke that, you know, the grandkids, as my parents started to have grandkids, you know, would... They, they thought my dad was a medical doctor because my mom would call him doctor. Well, let Dr. Ernie look at it, and he would pray over them and put a Band-Aid on it, and then he would be all better. But that shapes you. I mean, that's your story. And when you hear that over and over again. And so I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. And so when I'm in trouble, when I am sick or I am injured, I go to prayer. Because of my faith journey and for my faith origin, and because I believe in Jesus the Christ. Annika had, who is here today, and we're thankful that she's home for the weekend. When she was born, she had a rough transition, and nobody else knows that, and nobody else sees that except for the doctor and the nurse and me. They had they were working on Melissa, putting her back together, and, and Annika had to be revived. And so I'm sitting here waiting. Uh, for the doctor to revive her in her first minutes on earth. And so I'm lonely and I'm praying by myself while my wife is getting worked on. It's the most lonely feeling that you could ever have when you're watching your firstborn being brought back to life. You go from the very exciting moment of her birth to the very sudden realization that it could end. And so you're left, you can't do anything other than pray. And then as they, they resuscitate her, now they in this little hospital in, in Ransom, West Virginia, they can't find an IV big, small enough for a baby infant. And so our doctor, who is a Christian and went to church with us, um, he comes in and, and he breaks a, 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 a um, child's IV in half. I don't know what difference that made, but he broke it in half and used it to get her the essential fluids that she needed. So from the beginning of her life, She's terrified of needles, but she believes in prayer. Amen? She still cries when she gets a shot. But that's the story that has helped shape and form who she is. The story from the gospel of the woman who has been bleeding for years, this story will shape her for the rest of her life. And it's a story from the gospel, if you don't have your own healing story, that you can latch on, it can help to shape who and what you believe about faith in terms of miracles of healing. But she had been sick for many years. It's another crowd that has come. They're starting to hear about Jesus, the healer. 
And she's just amongst the crowd and part of the crowd. And in fact, the disciples are trying to make way and push people away. She was fortunate enough at this time that she evidently, the only people that got real medical care back then were the wealthy and the people of status. She had that. But she had been sick for so long that she had exhausted all those possibilities. So her status and wealth meant nothing. Now she was desperate. And so she hears about Jesus coming to town, and she comes, and she is lucky, lucky enough to get close enough to where all she does is reach out and touch the garment of Jesus to Christ. That's faith. That's faith. And so at that moment, Jesus feels some of that power leave him. And so he pauses and stops, and he says, who just touched me? And the disciples who are trying to block access, even disciples mess up every once in a while. Uh, they speak up and they say, oh, Lord, we're, you know, we're trying to, to do our best. And, and he says, no, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And they're like, all these people, how are we going to know who touched you? And so then the woman approaches trembling. We're going to approach God in your time of need. Go trembling. Go humbly. Fall into her knees. She says, it was me. And she, she reluctantly tells him the truth. And she knows in that instant that she touched Jesus. He knows the power left him. And she knows she's been healed. After 12 long years, she had been healed in an instance. And so not only is she healed, but this story is going to shape who she is for the rest of her life. She's been healed. It's a miracle of healing. She had tried the very best of all the medical practices of the day, and she had spent all of her money. But in one instance, in just one second, reaching out and just touching Jesus, she is healed. She is healed, she is changed, and she is now affected forever by the power of touching Jesus the Christ. And so this is an invitation for you to claim your own stories of healing, your own stories of the power of God. And if not, you dive into some of these Gospels and allow God to work in you through these stories so that you can claim them for your own. Now, here's the issue. If we're not careful, these stories where Jesus, I mean, Jesus says here, you know, your faith has made you well. If we're not careful, our faith in God can become transactional. And so, and that's great if you're winning. That's great if you're looking back and say, wow, you know, God healed me in my mother's womb. God saved Annika from a terrible start. You know, God healed my grandmother. God healed my dad at this time or that time. You know, God helped me get that job. And we reflect, and we're just naming all of our victories. That's great. Oh, man, I got the faith of Moses. Well, that's great because you're winning. What about when it doesn't seem that God is answering your prayers? Amen? How do unanswered prayers, don't even raise your hand, how many people in here feel like they have an unanswered prayer? I mean, all of us, if we're truthful, we're going to raise our hands, right? All of us. Not everybody is healed. Not every prayer we pray. I mean, if, if I could just stop there with those two stories, my faith would be unbelievable in terms of, of what God has done for me. I live, my daughter lives. But then I have other stories too. I have other stories just in the last few. I have other stories since I've lived here. 
I prayed earnestly and honestly and tirefully for my dad to be healed. And he wasn't. I prayed earnestly and honestly and, and powerfully in the name of Jesus Christ to, to, to heal Annika and Asher and Marley's grandfather. Other grandfather. Melissa's dad. I prayed right in the middle of the living room in the beginning of his illness. And I was sure that the power of God was going to heal him and protect him. It did not. He died. And then just recently, you say, well, those, that's great. Those, those were two older men that lived full, life, full lives. And we can deal with that and we can move on. And I would say, well, that's kind of harsh to say. But what about younger people? I mean, just recently, I lost a 45-year-old best friend. I mean, how do you explain that? And we prayed in his room as he was getting better. Prayed, oh, Lord, thank you. This is awesome. And then he died a couple days later. Just in the parish, we've lost young people and young wives and young husbands and young fathers recently. What do we say to those people? What do we say about those unanswered prayers? How does that affect our faith? It happens. It even happens in the scriptures. Even with the Apostle Paul, there's a great story in 2 Timothy where Paul's talking about having to leave a friend behind. So not only did Trophimus not get healed, he left him behind. And so, you know, of all people, couldn't Paul just lay hands on uh, Trophimus and say, you're healed and come along and work with us? No. And not only that, yeah, he leaves him behind. Why couldn't he get him to that pool of water? Why couldn't he name in the name of Jesus heal him? Timothy himself has a stomach issue that's not healed. And he gets the best prescription of all, Joe. Drink wine. Just drink wine. You can't be healed, just sit at home and drink wine all day. I mean, the scriptures say that. I'm not making that up. Right? But that means he's not healed, but here we can make you feel a little bit better and forget about your problems. Or maybe, you know, settle your stomach a little bit with the wine. So it happens even in our scriptures. Jesus in the garden, he heals the enemy guard's ear that Peter cut off with the sword. Picks it up off the ground. Can you imagine that? Hey, found that ear. Here, Carl, thanks. Put it back on. You're healed. And in the midst of that, he says, Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know that I can perform a miracle right here? And in an instant, 10,000 angels, or however many, would be here, and we'd be saved. But then God's plan wouldn't unfold. And so all throughout Scripture, side by side, we have miracles of healing, and then we have others that are left behind. And so how do we reconcile that? How does that affect our faith? And here's what we deal with that. First of all, we don't have to explain it. Don't explain an unanswered prayer to your friend or family, or to yourself. Don't do it. Don't even try it. It's a mystery. And don't say stupid things like, oh, it was God's will, or God needed another angel. Humans don't become angels. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. So it's the dumbest thing to say to somebody because you're trying to make them feel better. And we've all done it. Amen? So me too. Don't say it's part of God's will. No, it's not God's will. So take a third grader and up to heaven. That's not part of God's plan or God's will. That's evil. That's the devil. Don't say it. Don't post it. Don't retweet it. Just say, I'm sorry. I don't have an answer. I don't know why your son or daughter died. I don't know why you lost your job. 
I don't know why you've done everything right and you're still sick. Don't say it. Don't attempt to do it. I don't know why your mom suddenly got ill and died. I don't know why poor wife Pat died so suddenly. I don't know. And it's okay. And then further, you can get mad. You can say, why, God? It's the most faithful thing that we can do is to get mad at God when somebody we love dies. Say, I'm just say it. I'm mad because I don't understand. And that's a perfectly okay place to be. It's the most faithful place to be. Every third psalm in the Bible is a complaint to God. You can complain to God because it is a faithful place to be. But don't try to explain it. Just complain. Make your complaint known. And then begin to allow God to heal you. And you will eventually heal from that pain. You won't forget that person that wasn't healed. But you begin, you begin to heal yourself. And you begin to realize your faith is not transactional. Your faith is not based on whether you won or lost a particular prayer. Your faith is not based on what God does. Your faith is based on who God is. Amen? And God is a God of grace. God is a God of power. God is a God of love. And God is a God of reconciliation. And when you claim who God is, that's what builds our faith. If you rely on trying to be faithful based on what God does, you're never going to get to a position where your faith can move mountains. Amen? Because we live in the in-between time. Your life and my life will never be perfect. We will have sickness. We will have illness. We will have stupid injuries. We will have lost relationships. We'll have death. Until Jesus comes again. Until final victory. The only promise in the scriptures where that says those things will be eliminated are in the last pages of the Bible in Revelation. And God says, there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more sickness, and no more death. It's not until then that we have that to look forward to. In the meantime, we can get a foretaste of the kingdom of God and miracles of healing. We can get a taste of evil when things, go, when things go bad. But we can be strengthened and picked up by our faith when we remember who God is. And that is a strong theology of the miracles of healing. You and I come to God in our prayers, in our need, and we come boldly. And we ask in the name of Jesus to be healed or our loved ones to be healed. And sometimes, yes, God does answer these in mysterious ways. And sometimes we feel like we have not been answered at all. But regardless, our faith is made strong in and around the fact that we come to God in the first place. When we feel exhausted, when we feel like we've turned over every stone, we come to Jesus. And we ask for healing in the name of Christ. Two times in the scriptures, Jesus himself says he is shocked. He is surprised. He is in awe. Only two times. The first is when he goes to his hometown. And the scriptures say Jesus was shocked by their unbelief. He was shocked by the unbelief of his friends, 
his family, his cousins, his classmates, his teammates, shocked by their unbelief. The second time in the scripture, and the only other time, where Jesus says he's shocked, it's over the centurion's faith. Remember that story? The centurion came to see Jesus. His servant, not even his daughter, not his son, not a family member, a servant. A servant was dying. Or ill, or whatever was wrong with him. He goes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, my servant needs you. Jesus says, lead the way. The centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus heals him on the spot, at a distance, long distance healing. And then, he, and then goes on to say, he was shocked by the centurion's faith. In all of Israel, he had not seen faith that he had just witnessed by the centurion. Jesus himself came to you today through this door or in your prayers or however Jesus would come to you today. Would he be shocked by your unbelief or would he be shocked by our astounding belief? That's the question of the day when we're dealing with miracles of healing. Amen. Amen. Let us pause now as we prepare for our tithes and offerings in the name of